Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16 says, A righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in a time of calamity. There's story after story after story of men who have failed and failed and failed only to pick themselves up and succeed. You've heard the stories, you've heard of Abraham Lincoln never winning an election until he won the presidential election. You've heard the story of Michael Jordan getting cut from his high school basketball team only to make it his life's ambition to be the best basketball player to ever walk the face of the planet. Well, I want to encourage us here this morning that as you look around, you look at the people that are sitting next to you, uh, they may look pretty, they may be wearing nice clothes, they may have dressed up for church, but on the inside, we're broken. We are, we are broken, we are in desperate need of grace. And as the body of Christ comes together, the church is a hospital for sinners. We're a place where we find grace and mercy. I pray this morning... Uh, that as we are here, that we would find the love and the grace of God that's demonstrated through Jesus. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up the book of Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We're going to continue in our study this morning in the book of Matthew. As you're turning there, as you're turning there, I want to remind us, uh, and I'm doing this in honor of you, Pastor Steve, uh, the book of Matthew was written by whom? Matthew. It was written by Matthew, and the book of Matthew was written to the, to the Jews, and the book of Matthew was written to portray Jesus as the son of David. Very good. See, Pastor Steve, they are capable of learning. They are capable of learning. Uh, as we talk about the book of Matthew, we, we look and we understand that the book of Matthew has a very specific theme and a very specific audience, a very specific uh, idea in mind, and as we as we seek to interpret any particular text, we must understand that, that that particular text has to be understood in the, in the larger scheme of things. And we can't, we can't take and interpret Matthew any way that we want to. We must understand it and understand as it was written to the audience it was written to. So, if you have the Bible, Matthew chapter 13, we're going to read a lengthy passage this morning, uh, verses 1 through 35. Uh, so just stay with me. Bear with me, we're going to get through it. I know you can read, I know you can follow along. Uh, the verses will be up on the screen if you happen to, uh, if you happen to not bring your Bible this morning, uh, although you've got to uh, sit closer if you want to see the words on the screen. So, uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. On that day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and a great multitude gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole multitude was standing on the beach. He spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds that fell beside the road, and the birds came up and ate them. And others fell upon rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. And when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out, and others fell upon the good soil and yielded a crop, some of a hundredfold, some of sixty, some of thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. 
And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Whoever has him, for whoever has to him shall more be given. And he who has an abundance, but whoever does not even... But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and return, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you, that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and does not understand, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one whom the seed was sown beside the road. And the one whom seed was sown in rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. When affliction or persecutions arise because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful. And the one whom seed was sown on good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, and indeed who bears fruit and brings forth some, a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. And he presented another parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while the men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares amongst the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir... Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? He said, No, lest while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, and gather the wheat into my barns. He presented another parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all the other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. He spoke another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of meal until it was all leavened. And all these things Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable, so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter things in hidden since the foundation of the world. Let's pray. God, may you speak to our hearts this morning. May we hear your word, and may you touch our hearts. Lord, may we hear the gospel, may we hear the grace of God demonstrated in our lives. May you lead us, Lord, to obedience. For it's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Well, I titled the message this morning, I'm Not Impressed. And so as you leave, I pray that, that, I, that we would seek not to impress the world with, with our piety, not that we would impress the world with, 
with how good we are. But I pray that as you leave this place, that you will leave seeking to impress God. Not with our goodness, but with our surrender to Christ. When I was about 12 or 13 years old, I met Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq is probably one of the most recognizable people on the face of the planet. He can go anywhere, and anywhere he goes, he's going to be recognized. Now, part of that is because he stands over seven feet tall. If, If you walk into a room and you are over seven feet tall, and you have to duck as you enter into the room, or you have to duck into the, the, the door frame, and you immediately become noticed. Well, I walked into Hoppers. How many of you remember the restaurant Hoppers? They, it, was, it was an old-time 50s-style restaurant, uh, and they had you know, Coke floats and root beer floats and shakes and french fries and hamburgers. And we walked in, and, and as we're ordering, as we're ordering, we turn around, and there's this giant mammoth of a man that walks in with a couple of other LSU basketball players. And that, that was then, that was, uh, that was whenever uh, they had a Hoppers in the mall uh, on Cortana, and that was, that was when they still had a mall at Balmache. And so you had the mall at Cortana, and you had the mall at Balmache. We were at Cortana, and, and Hoppers, we were in Hoppers, we were ordering, and in walks Shaquille O'Neal. We're in there with my mom. Uh, and my brother, uh, and, and none of us are, are uh, impressive in stature, uh, to say the least. And in walks Shaquille O'Neal, and, and Justin was about, he was about 10 or so, and he could literally stand in between Shaquille O'Neal's legs. And, and, and there would be room, there would be plenty of room between uh, b- 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 between Shaquille O'Neal's legs and the top of my brain, he was he was just enormous, and he places his hands on the counter, and his hands are like they are they are like like mitts. They are just huge, and and we were immediately impressed with Shaquille O'Neal. Well, as we look at this passage of scripture, we're going to do something a little bit differently as we examine this text. Uh, we're going to look at the whole passage of the parables. We're not going to drill down and we're not going to look at what was Jesus saying when he's talking. And, and, and we're going to touch on it. We're going to touch on each individual parable. But it's interesting that in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus speaks eight parables. He speaks four to the multitudes and he speaks four to the disciples. And as he's speaking the parables to the multitudes, he he has this whole soliloquy, he has this whole section. If you look at Matthew chapter 13, he takes verses 10 through verse 17, and he says, I am going to speak these things to these people, and they're not going to get it. Has anybody ever had a conversation with somebody, and you leave that conversation, and you think that they, 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 they just didn't get it? I have three children. Every time I leave a conversation with my children, I think they... Clearly, they, we, are, we are speaking two completely different languages. When I say, when I say it's time for bed, go to bed, and, and five seconds later, they're in the bathroom brushing their teeth. I said, no, the time for brushing your teeth has already passed. It is time for bed. And then five seconds later, you know, they're, they're, they're shuffling around stuffed animals. And, and, and you look at your wife and you say, am I speaking English? I've told them to go to bed 17 times, and yet none of the children are in their bed. 
and, and then immediately, you know, you find them in the, in the kitchen and they're eating applesauce and yogurt and ice cream sandwiches. And you're like, wait a second. They're not understanding anything that's coming out of my mouth. This is, this is the, the crux of verses 10 through 17. Jesus is saying, I'm going to speak to them. I'm going to tell them the truth of the gospel. And they're not going to get it. And they are, they are not going to understand what I'm saying, even though I'm speaking to them in plain language, even though I'm speaking to them in parables. So these first four parables we're going to look at and we're going to try and extract what Jesus is trying to say to the multitudes. And I believe that Jesus is trying to depict in these first four parables how the world would view the kingdom of God. And I believe in the last four parables, what we'll look at next week is how God is going to view the kingdom of God. We're going to hear the parable of the pearl of great price, the parable of the hidden treasure. We're going to hear these parables of this great value. And in these parables, we're going to look at that which is very unimpressive. So, as we do, I want to point out to you that God's ways are not like man's ways. And man's ways are not like God's ways. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, we see, G, uh, we see Samuel telling, or God telling Samuel this, as Samuel is seeking to anoint the next king, and Jesse brings all of his sons, and, and, and the anointing ends up falling upon David. God tells Samuel in chapter 16, verse 7, it says, that's 2 Samuel, preacher. 1 <clears throat> Samuel, chapter 16, verse 7, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so we're going to look at these parables, and we're going to see that the world is very unimpressed with the kingdom of heaven. In fact, God himself showed up and lived and dwelt among the people. God himself showed up and cast out demons and fed the thousands and walked on water and calmed the storm and turned the water into wine. God himself showed up and the people were unimpressed. So much so that they crucified this one they called Jesus. So let's look, let's look at these parables. The first parable that we see is the parable of the sower. And the farmer, he sows and he sows seeds and he scatters the seeds. And, and there are, the scripture tells us that there are four types of soil in which the seed lands. And, and we're going to touch on these. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. But I want us to see that as the, as the seed is cast, it falls upon the roadside, it falls upon the rocky ground, it falls upon the thorns, and it falls upon good soil. And as the world is outside looking in, as the world is outside looking in, it sees four different results of the gospel message, the gospel seed that is sown. It sees first the enemy, the bird, those seeds that fall upon the roadside where the bird comes and snatches it up. It sees this, this, this opportunity where the gospel seed, the gospel message has been sown and the enemy snatches it away. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. I want us to understand this, church, because as 
as obedient Christians, we strive to, to sow the seed, we strive to be, to be effective in our evangelism, and we see people who hear the gospel, and we see people whose lives are unchanged by the gospel message, and we think that something's wrong with us. Because, because clearly, I didn't communicate the gospel message clearly enough. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be of sober spirit, be on alert, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to destroy. John chapter 10, 10 says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. There is a reality that the world that we live in, there is an enemy. You cannot take a cursory glance of the world around you and not understand that there is wickedness, there is evil in the world today. There are evil, wicked people that do evil, wicked things. And the enemy is a roaring lion seeking those whom he'll devour. That is the design, that is his purpose And so as the gospel seed is sown, there are some that are going to see the gospel message. They're going to see those people who come and those people who hear the message time in and time out. Yet the enemy is going to deceive them. He is going to to divert them off of the path of righteousness. The enemy is very real. And the world is going to look and see the effect and the impact of the enemy and they're going to be very unimpressed with this gospel message. There are going to be those whom the gospel message, the gospel seed falls upon good ground and it it sprouts up quickly. And and by all accounts, they they are living for Jesus. They are going to church. They are bringing, raising their children in the nurture and admonition of Jesus. They are doing everything they're supposed to do. But then at the first sign of trouble, at the first sign of persecution and trials and hardships, they're going to turn away. And the world is going to look at that. And they're going to be very unimpressed james 1 verse 2 says this says consider it all joy my brethren whenever you encounter various trials and tribulation knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result and you may be complete lacking in nothing james tells us that trials are coming and that we must understand that as we trust in jesus that is not any that that is not an exemption from hardship and trials but rather it's the exact opposite paul tells us uh, paul told timothy in first timothy I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he says, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so if we come into Christ, it is not an exemption from hardships and trial, but rather it is a certainty that hardships and trial are going to come. And what the world sees is they see those people who claim to be Christians, those people who claim to be followers of Jesus, they, they come unto faith, they walk down an aisle, they get wet in a baptistry, they, they have this born-again experience, and then the first time things get tough, they, they jump ship. And the world is unimpressed with Christians who call themselves Christians and run at the first, at the first semblance of hardships. And then we're told of a different seed that is sown amongst the thorns. And in fact, the scripture tells us in verse, uh, if you look at chapter 13, uh, the scripture tells us in verse 22, the one whose seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of this world 
and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word till it becomes unfruitful. This is those people who, who hear the word. They have a response to the word. But the lure and the lust of this world eclipses that of the world that is to come. This world and the things that this world has to offer are more desirable to them. The deceitfulness of riches, the worry of this world are too enticing. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. He said, those who seek to save themselves, those who seek to save their lives, will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake in the Gospels, he shall find it. And so the world looks at these recipients of the gospel message and they are very unimpressed. And then Jesus makes this statement. In the second parable, we see the weeds amongst the wheat. The wheat and the tares. Trials and temptations take many casualties. The birds, the rocks, the thorns. And as we look at this second parable, we see that there is good wheat right amongst the growing weeds. And the reality is, is that within the body of Christ, within the church, there are people who are good fruit-bearing Christians who love the Lord and are obedient and are seeking the Lord and who are, who are seeking to do what's right. And they fall time and time again and the grace of God picks them up and they strive to do what's right and they fall and the grace of God picks them up. And those are not the weeds, guys. That is the wheat. Those whom God, by His grace and by His mercy, is sustaining and He is strengthening them and He's encouraging them. And time and time again, they are striving to do what is right and God, by His grace and by His mercy, is empowering them. Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 12, His grace is sufficient for me, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I would most gladly boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may richly dwell in me. Paul understood that the gospel message and those who are obedient to the gospel message are those who are constantly in need of grace. That is not the weeds. The weeds are those who, who have the appearance of righteousness. But in the end, they're ravenous wolves. They're whitewashed tombs. Church, I want us to hear the message of this parable that religion and piety impresses no one. Do you realize that your co-workers are not impressed that you carry a big black Bible to church? They're not impressed that, that, that we hold this, this standard of righteousness but live, but live in the midst of hypocrisy? They're not impressed with our religion. They're not impressed with the rules that we keep. What impresses the world is sincerity, genuineness, grace, compassion. The world's not impressed with our religion, with our piety. Because in the end, religion and piety is fruitless. It gains us nothing. There's a third parable. And I want us to look at this parable a little bit differently. Look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. I'm sorry, 31. 
He presented another parable saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, and is smaller than all the other seeds, but when it's full grown, it is larger than all the garden plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Mustard is not a tree. It's not. At full maturity, a mustard plant would be about three to five feet tall at the most. It's an herb. You take its leaves, you grind it up, you make, you make mustard from it. It's not, it. It doesn't have fruit. It's not like an apple tree or a pear tree or an oak tree. It's a plant. And so I want us to hear what Jesus is saying. Big stature does not impress this world. It's not impressive that this mustard plant grows up to be so large that birds can come and nest in its tree. What it's designed to do is to produce mustard leaves so that you can use it for its purpose. Nobody plants mustards hoping that they get these giant trees. It would be unfruitful for the farmer to plant mustard and have these giant trees because it would not be fulfilling its purpose that it was intended to do. As the farmer plants a mustard seed, yes, it is small, it is insignificant. But the emphasis is on what is that which impresses the world and what impresses the world is, is, is not grand stature. But it's that which fulfills its purpose. What has God called you to do? Big stature does not impress this world, but fulfillment of purpose, or big, big stature may impress this world, but fulfillment of purpose impresses God. Unnatural growth does not impress the Lord. What impresses the Lord is when we do what God has called us to do. So I want us to, to, to understand that, that, yes, there are many applications of this passage. The mustard seed is indeed very, very small. And, and, and we need to, to understand that, that God often takes that which is very, very small and does great and mighty things with it. But I want us to understand this parable in context of the greater, of the greater passage. That here's a mustard seed that was intended to be a mustard plant. And as it grew, it grew to something that it was never intended to be. The world may be impressed with big stature, but it did not impress the Lord. If we look back through the characters in Scripture, God was not impressed with Nebuchadnezzar. God was not impressed with Xerxes. God was not impressed with Pharaoh. Who was He impressed with? The murderer who led His people out of Egypt. Who was God impressed with? the Hebrew children who took a stand and said, we will serve the Lord no matter what. The peasant who became a queen, who went to the king of Persia and stood her ground. God is not impressed with those of grand stature, but those who fulfill the purpose that God has called them to. And I want us to look at this last parable. The leaven. In this world, all throughout Scripture, leaven is synonymous with sin. 
There is not a parable, there is not a story in the Bible in which leaven is, is anything other than that which symbolizes sin and wickedness. And what is, what is Jesus saying in this parable? That the kingdom of heaven, verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven in which a woman took and hid in three pecks of meal until it was all leaven. In the church... In the body of Christ, there are wicked people. There is sin within the church. And that doesn't impress this world. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It doesn't matter what denomination you go to. It doesn't matter what religion you go to. If you are in the world that we live in, sin permeates everything. I am here to communicate to you this morning that I am a liar, I am a thief, I am an adulterer, because I am a human. I am broken. I am no better than you. I am no more righteous or more holy than you. I am simply a sinner who's found the grace of God. And our deacons and our leaders and our pastors and associate pastors and worship leaders, we are all sinners. And our church members, we are sinners. Sin affects everything. And when the world looks at us, they see in us sin. And the world is not impressed with us. They are not impressed with how often we go to church. They are not impressed with how much of the Bible we can memorize. They are not impressed with, with how with how much we give. They're not impressed with how much we know. They are not impressed with us. Nor should they be. Nor should they be. What is impressive? Jesus is impressive. Jesus is impressive. Matthew chapter 3, verse 15. The baptism of Jesus. Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending, and a dove come upon him. And listen to verse 17. Behold, a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God looked at Jesus and said, this impresses me. John chapter 1, verse 14, says, The Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of God, full of grace and truth. God looks at you and I, and He sees our frailty. He sees our failures. He's not impressed with you and I. But He looks at Jesus who became a man, tempted in every way that we are, tempted with greed, tempted with lust, tempted with power, tempted with 
with every temptation that you and I, and yet without sin. And then, not only the righteousness of Jesus, but then His compassion. The woman caught in adultery, doomed for condemnation, doomed for a stoning, stood before Jesus, and He looks at her. And He says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus calls to Zacchaeus a sinner, a tax collector, a thief. He says, I'm going to have dinner at your house. I am going to communicate to you that I love you. Jesus takes the children, that which was disregarded by society, and took time and hugged and loved each one of them. God was impressed with Jesus. Church, this world will never be impressed with you. But they can be impressed with Jesus in you. They can be impressed not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. They can be impressed with the love of God demonstrated through us. They can be impressed with the compassion of God demonstrated through us. They can be impressed with the grace of God demonstrated through us. They can be impressed with the kindness of God demonstrated through us. But it only happens when we surrender to the, when we surrender the control of our life to the control of the Lord Jesus. Jesus loved you. Not because of who you are, but because of who He is. God is not impressed with us, neither is the world. But He is impressed with Jesus. So our ambition, as we live this life, ought to be to demonstrate Jesus. The only way that happens, church, is if we die to ourselves and surrender our lives to Jesus. In just a few moments, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've been trying to do it on your own, let me remind you, He's not impressed. Neither is this world. But this morning, if you want to impress God, Surrender your life and ask Christ to live through you. As we sing this hymn of invitation, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to come and do so. Maybe God is calling you to surrender your life and be a part of what He's doing right here at Redeemer. This would be be the time to come. In just a few moments, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. Maybe you have a severed relationship, a broken relationship in your life. Maybe your relationship with God is not what it ought to be. Maybe you have unconfessed sin in your life. During this hymn of invitation, if there's a relationship that you need to fix, now's the time to do so. Will you pray with me? Father, we know that you're not impressed with us. We know that you're not impressed with with what we do 
as a church. We know you're not impressed with our righteousness. We know you're not impressed with our piety. We know you're not impressed with with our service. God, this morning, may you be impressed with Jesus. There's someone here this morning who needs to surrender their life. They need to quit trying to be good enough. And they need to trust in what Jesus has already done. If that's you this morning, I'll invite you to come. There's someone here this morning who needs to stop trying and just trust in Jesus. There's someone here this morning who has a broken relationship with the brother in Christ and they need to come to this altar. Someone here who has a unconfessed sin in their life. Jesus said, if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. There's someone here who simply needs to confess and turn from their sin. Trust in Jesus. God, as we go into this time of invitation, may you have your way in this place this morning. Pastor Steve, during the welcome, asked you he asked you to after the message allow the Holy Spirit to speak to whatever it is that you brought in whatever problem, whatever difficulty, whatever hardship if God has spoken to your heart this morning, may you respond by being obedient Lord may your Holy Spirit move in this place this morning, in Jesus name we pray Amen